Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we've encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. Today, we continue where we left off last time with Beato Borsnus as we discuss Beyond Budgeting. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, please do so before listening to this one. A little bit about Beata before we start. Beata pioneered the Beyond Budgeting movement. He has a long international career in both finance and HR. He's also an author, a business speaker, and the winner of the Harvard Business Review Management Innovation Award. Let's welcome Beata back as we bring him on to explore Beyond Budgeting. Hello, Beata. Thanks for agreeing to come on to our podcast. We have tons of questions for you. I hope we don't scare you and that you're ready for us. I'm ready. Okay, let's dive right in. I'm thinking for the people that I have worked with in the various companies I was in. They are people who love the self-managing, be able to regulate and manage themselves. However, there are others who just love to be told what to do. They just sit there and they would wait. They don't want to think. They are just, okay, you tell me to do this, I will do this. Great. And then, hey, I finished what you told me to do. I can now go home. You cannot blame me if the result is not what you wanted because I did what you asked. So how would you enable performance in that situation? I mean, it, it sounds to me more like those people needed to be managed. But then it seems like I'm going back to the traditional management in that case. So how to deal with that? Well, first of all, I think there is a reason for why some people are like that. I'm saying some because I still think it is a minority, uh, not not the majority. And the reason for that might actually be that this is what they have been. It is traditional management that they have been exposed to or living under for so many years. And again, I mean, their behaviors is the result of the design of that system. Right. So if you want to change behaviors, you need to change design and of course, it won't happen overnight that people who behave like that suddenly start to behave in a different way. But I think slowly, slowly, uh, that will happen for the majority. And if it doesn't happen for everybody, again, you can't design your management models around small minorities. right? If you generally believe that people, for instance, can be trusted, well, that must drive the design, even if there might be a few ones that, that you have some questions uh, around here. That is a problem that a lot of management is designed around uh, these minorities and around exceptions and so on. And it's typically, you know, when something happens, something goes wrong in an organization. I mean, what, what is the typical reaction? Well, we have to take some action and, and change something. And then you tighten the, we're going to tighten the control routines, right? And, and again, that is very often the wrong thing to do because you are punishing everybody. Deal with that person and that incident instead. Then what about those cultures that are more hierarchical? I mean, I can speak for myself mm. and in part mm. with GF because Asian culture, for example, mm. it's very much ingrained where the junior people are supposed to defer to the seniors. We were taught that ever since we were born. Mm. So, yeah, well, first of all, if that is the situation, then there are still many beneficial things you can do in Beyond Budgeting on the management process side even if it takes place within that hierarchical culture. 
operating with relative metrics, transparency, being more dynamic in your rhythm, uh, and so on and so on, can be done in a way. It's kind of culture independent, at least to a large extent. But also, even in the cultures you describe, there are some fascinating companies and some fascinating cases. If you take Kyocera in Japan, mind-blowing with how they are kind of trying to push autonomy and decision-making out in all these small units. If you take higher in China, it is simply mind-blowing. A few words on higher because it's one of the most exciting cases I've come across over the last years. As you probably know, the CEO, he doesn't speak English, but he reads a lot. Some people say 150 books a year. And if the book doesn't exist in English, then people have it translated for him. And somehow he came across my book, Beyond Budgeting, and had it translated. He didn't know that there was an official translation going on in parallel, but that's a different story. And I was invited over, this is two years ago, I think, because he was curious. And I hadn't heard about Haya, so I found a book on Amazon, which I read on the plane over. And then the meeting started. And I asked a few questions based on what I had read in the book. And then he just smiled. And then he said, Bjarte, that was two years ago. That was two years ago. I mean, they have such a speed on their management innovation journey that it's simply, simply, simply mind-blowing. As you probably know, they are trying to replicate the internet in how they are organizing themselves. And as we know, the internet has a lot of local nodes and no central power. So they are breaking the company up in micro, I think it's 4,000 micro enterprises where these units can deal with between, I mean, with themselves, um, between themselves, with the market, um, employees might have ownership and so on. I had an ambition about writing a, a case story about higher when I came over, but I have to admit, I still haven't got my head around all aspects of that model. But now I don't need to do because the job is done. Gary Hamill had a, a great article in Harvard Business Review uh, a year ago about higher. He and Mikhail Sanini, his, his colleague. So we shouldn't kind of stereotype too much because this was in China and Japan. Thank you so much. Those are indeed great examples. I'm glad to actually hear you bring it up. Then I want to ask about DEI, diversity, equity, <coughs> and inclusion, because how does Beyond Budgeting actually deal with DEI? Because as the Business Agility Institute's DEI report, it indicates that DEI is generally not considered a core aspect of agile ways of working, nor of agile, nor business agility transformations. You could argue that it's not kind of specifically described in the 12 Beyond Budgeting Principles, but maybe indirectly, because I mean, the whole, all of the six leadership principles builds on a positive theory why people view, right? And a positive um, people view should also have implications for how you behave and how you think around this area. So indirectly, I think we are addressing it, but not specifically as one explicit uh, principle. Okay. All right. So let me go back to the budget a little bit, because we did talk about costs, managing costs. Mm. We talk about uh, a little bit on forecasting, but we didn't really go too deep into it. So if you don't mind, if I would like to ask is, how do the beyond budgeting companies actually do forecasts? Or is forecasting even necessary? 
Well, to take the, the last question first, I mean, it's a good question. We should ask why about everything, everything we do. By the way, I've just had my three-year-old grandson, who is half Italian. He has just visited. He lives in Copenhagen, but he's been there for a week. And I think I've heard the question, why, probably 10,000 times over the last week. But it's a wonderful question. And if we don't ask it enough, we should ask it much more. And uh, so the answer is yes, it is possible to operate without forecasts. One of the beyond budgeting pioneers is a Swedish bank called Handelsbanken. It has around 700 branches in Northern Europe, quite big in the UK. They hardly make forecasts. The CEO that introduced the model, they have no budgets, no targets, no individual bonus and no forecasts. He introduced this model back in 1970 and he had a very simple philosophy. If you think that tomorrow will be like today, you don't need to make a forecast because you know what will happen. If you don't think tomorrow will be like today, how can you make a forecast? Because you don't know what will happen. So in any case, of course, they make some forecasts, but not much less than. But if you make forecasts, we recommend, first of all, you need to get the bias out of forecasting. So you need to get everybody to understand that when they make a forecast, it is not a bid into a target negotiation. It is not an application for resources. It is just your best guess about what you think will happen, whether you like what you see or not. Brutally honest. So that's one aspect of it. Get the bias out of it. You have to get people to understand that you have nothing to gain by gaming your forecast. The second thing is to look at the rhythm. Typical forecasting is what I call accordion forecasting. Because when these companies make forecasts, it starts when they make a budget, then they want to understand all of next year, 12 months ahead. Into next year, first quarter, certainly nine months is enough. We can still see till year end, then six months, and then three months before they suddenly get interested in 12 months again, because it's budget time. So not a very logical accordion rhythm. Some companies solve this by introducing rolling forecasting, which means that you typically update your forecast every quarter and you typically look five quarters ahead. So it's rolling. In Equinor, we actually went for something slightly different because there's such a variety in the cadence of the different businesses um, that we're into that it didn't make sense that everybody should operate on the same frequency and with the same time horizon. So the answer in Equinor became what we call dynamic forecasting which simply means that units, they update their forecast when something happens that they think justify a forecast update. And they don't do it for corporate. They do it for themselves in order to manage their own business. But that information goes into a common database. So uh, there is a global SAP solution. At corporate, when there is a need for understanding what lies ahead, corporate can tap into the latest version of the forecast uh, when they need it. There's nothing right or wrong here, rolling or dynamic, but for us, dynamic forecasting has worked quite well. Thank you. So then let me ask about targets. If I'm doing beyond budgeting, how do I do targets? Or I'm going to ask the same question. Do I even need mm -hmm. to do targets? Yeah. I mean, you should ask that question. What is quite normal is that companies who get started, they separate, as I talked about, and then they start to improve also target setting in different ways. And at one point in time, they might arrive at the stage where they are ready for asking the question, 
do we need these targets at all? But typically there is a kind of target improvement phase before you have the guts to ask that question. So if you're in that target improvement phase, what could that mean? Well, we recommend where it makes sense and where it's possible to think in relative terms. Relative can mean two things here. It can either be to connect input-output, like a unit cost target, as we talked about, and or comparing with others. That could be internal pairs or it could be external pairs. The benefit with these relative targets is that they are quite self-regulating and in some cases also quite VUCA robust. Again, an example, Equinor has no absolute financial targets. They have two financial metrics, which is about return on capital and shareholder return. You can discuss the metrics as such, but the point is there's no absolute targets. Instead, they have established a peer group of 11 other energy companies, and the target is very simple, to be above average on both every year. And it doesn't matter if energy prices are high or low, because if they're high, they are high for everybody and also low for everybody. So much more robust and against all the the VUCA out there. We also recommend people to ignite people just as much through words about what we want to achieve as about talking 29.2. But if we are into absolute targets, then, and sometimes you are forced, you you can't find, you can't establish a, a peer comparison. So you are forced into thinking in absolute targets then the more absolute these targets are, the more important is that you have a so-called holistic performance evaluation. And holistic performance evaluation means that you are looking after the fact when you are evaluating performance, when all the uncertainty has become certainty and you know what happened, then you are looking into that wealth of information that you have about tailwind, headwind, changes in assumptions, how ambitious were those targets, and so on and so on. So very important. But back to this issue of not setting targets at all, because when I raise that issue with people today, I sometimes get the same look as 25 years ago when we challenged the budget and said so we can take away the budget, right? The same looks I now get today. Some people are getting more comfortable with that discussion, but taking away targets, are you kidding? And people say that, well, because if you ask people, why do, why do we need, need targets? Then there are typically two reasons coming up. Number one, in order to create direction, people won't know what to do. And number two, we can't evaluate performance if we haven't a target to compare to. And none of these are true. Of course, there are many ways of creating direction. And again, you can use words, or if you have to use numbers, talk about in the range of or towards or so on. But when it comes to evaluating performance, I disagree so much. And the reason is the following, because what we do when we are sitting in the fall and are trying to set the target for next year, we are actually trying to describe what does good performance look like 12 months down the road. And if there's a lot of uncertainty and fog, that is actually quite difficult, right? So what should the number be? Should it be 32 or 28? We have to conclude. And the answer becomes 29.2. And that becomes the answer that everything shall be evaluated against. But then after the fact, when afterwards, at the end of the year, 
all that uncertainty that surrounded us when we decided on 29.2 is gone, right? So then we know what happened. So that is a point when it's much easier to have a view on what is good performance because all the uncertainty is gone. So it's much easier to decide afterwards what was good performance than to guess a number up front and let that be the answer. So I think actually targets are doing very often almost as much damage as budgets, because if they are set with the same mentality and with the same granularity as budgets, they can, again, create a lot of problems. We've just heard about two companies that operate without budgets, the Swedish bank and also Miles. And I'm sure more companies will follow. By the way, the targets I'm challenging are targets that are set upon you. I have much less problems with targets that I set for myself, right? So I think we need to distinguish between uh, those two categories of of targets. My own targets can also sometimes be a bit stupid, (laughs) but I can only blame myself. I want to hone in a little bit on, you mentioned direction, right? Mm. And direction means you have to measure something if you're moving in that right direction. Mm. So let's say some companies that do beyond budgeting may have budgets, forecasts, and targets. How do they measure that they're heading in the right direction? Traditionally, companies have measured estimates versus actuals, for example, when it comes to budgets and forecasts and targets. So what do beyond budgeting companies do in this case? Well, you know, when you are measuring, then you are using actual data, for instance, accounting data coming out of your If the ambition is to increase sales, then you know through the actual sales numbers coming out whether you are moving in the right direction. And if you, in addition, do forecasting, that will provide you additional information about whether you are heading in the right direction. So the combination of actuals and forecasts can give you indications whether you are moving in that right direction. I believe you mentioned before that companies that are practicing beyond budgeting doesn't look at estimates versus actuals. They are actually looking forward, as you just said, and so they compare the forecasts and the targets. But don't those two things serve different purposes? I mean, why would you compare them and what do you get by comparing them? Well, well, this issue of comparing forecast versus targets instead of actual versus a budget. That is, some companies do that, including Equinor. And the purpose is that when you compare actual versus budget, you're looking backwards, right? And the outcome is very much a lot of excuses and blaming and so on, and also a lot of variance analysis, right? When you compare forecast versus targets, then you're not looking backwards, then you're looking forwards, and you get a very different discussion, because then the discussion is about, well, how does it look like out there? If it looks okay, what kind of risks can jeopardize what looks okay? Is there something we need to do? If it doesn't look okay, what do we need to do to get back on track? So you get a much more forward-looking and action-oriented focus in these management meetings. It really changes the dynamics here. Wow. All right. This is definitely a very different way of thinking through things. And I need some time to wrap my head around it. This is the challenging part, you know, not to change what we are doing, but to change how we are thinking. 
since we're talking about the measurements, I want to ask about specifically OKRs or KPIs. Mm -hmm. Does beyond budgeting and OKRs actually go together? How would you do mm -hmm. that? Just one reflection on KPIs first. One problem with KPIs is that people forget what the I stands for. Right? They provide indication, but they are not necessarily telling the full truth. I've been working with KPIs for, again, 25 years. I've spent too many years searching for the perfect KPI, and uh, it simply doesn't exist. I've given up. I mean, there can be good KPIs. Combinations can make them better, but they will always be indicators. I mean, there is a reason they are not called KPTs, Key Performance Truth. They are called Key Performance Indicators, and we must never forget. So they must never be allowed to dominate in a management model. They can play a role, but as indicators, but they must almost be surrounded by other things. For instance, words around strategic objectives, for instance, actions, what do we need to do, and so on and so on. When it comes to OKRs, I've actually written an article about this, OKRs from a beyond budgeting perspective. I think it was the most read blog on the Agile Alliance website in 2020. Anyway, yeah, it's quite good. So. But uh, what I'm saying is that there's nothing wrong with OKRs, and it's much better to have them than not to have them. And there are many similarities in the philosophy behind here, like, for instance, the transparency like the fact that it's translated through the organization and not cascaded. Frequency, that it's not an annual thing. Although when I hear a quarterly frequency being recommended, my question would be, what is it with the quarter? I mean, why not change them when there was a need for changing them? My only small question mark is around what I think is an assumption here, but I might be wrong. And that is in the key results that... There should always be a target and everything can be measured. And yeah, again, as you've heard, I'm not sure that we should have targets on everything. Beyond that, I think it serves a, com a number of companies uh, quite well. But there is, if it doesn't work that well, I think one reason is that most companies who have OKRs also have budgets. And very often, there will be conflicting messages coming out of the budget and the OKRs. And in that conflict, guess who is winning? It's the budget, right? So the implicit message to the organization is that, well, we have OKRs, but at the end of the day, the budget is the king, right? So if you really want to turbocharge your OKRs, kick out the competitor, the budget, you will see an amazing effect because the organization will realize that this is now the only thing we have left, right? And I've seen that happen when we introduced ambition to action in Equinor, which has some similarities with OKRs and, and kicked out the budget. It really turbocharged the whole process. Wow. I have now tons of other questions, specifically on performance and ambition to action. <laughs> I don't think that in the remaining time we're going to fit all those in. So... I am going to thank Beata for giving us the time and to answer our questions today. If it is possible, let's get Beata back for our next round of questions. But thank you so very much, Beata. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Do you have any perhaps final words for our audience before we end? 
what I often tell people is that this will happen. What we have been talking about today, it will happen. I don't care if it's called beyond budgeting or business agility, it couldn't kill us, but it will happen. And I'm convinced that in 15, 20 years time, when we look back at what was mainstream management in 2021, I think we will smile, maybe even laugh a bit. Just like we today smile about the days before the internet. And how long ago is that? It's not that long ago. And as companies, as organizations, we can choose to be early movers, vanguards, to get a competitive advantage, or we can choose to be dragged into this as one of the last ones. That should be a pretty simple choice. Definitely agree on that one. <laughs> it will happen. Yes. Indeed. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have today. Next time, we'll pick up where we left off as we continue to explore Beyond Budgeting with Beata Bosnes. You don't want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening to our Agile Tales. Feel free to ping us on our agiletales.com.